Thank you to those who are serving this week at Bayshore Kids Clubs. Uh, thank you for all of you for praying as we have opportunity to reach our community and our families with the gospel. Uh, we're excited to see and to watch how God works this week uh, and what happens as he works in the lives and hearts of kids and parents um, and how we will have opportunities to continue those relationships as we uh, invest in the gospel uh, in our community. My name is Michael Van Sant. I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Families. And so for those of you who I don't know, um, I'm not typically on the platform too much. I'm normally with our life groups. I was telling someone uh, this morning uh, during, before this uh, worship gathering began that I don't typically have an opportunity to be here before and after. I'm typically with our life groups uh, in our adult area. Um, but it was great to get to see uh, people in this context. Um, but we are gonna jump in. We're continuing with our series, Jesus Changes Everything. We're in the uh, book of Mark, chapter 12. Uh, so we'll be there, verse 41 through 44, if you wanna go ahead and open there. But before we begin, uh, hopefully all of you are signed up to get our church newsletter uh, on email every Friday. Um, if you read that um, and it didn't go to your junk mail and you read through it, uh, you would have seen that we are doing a church uh, spiritual growth survey, uh, we would like to just ever have everyone, ask everyone to do a self-reflection uh, and evaluation of how they are doing spiritually. Uh, as the pastors and the leaders of the church, God has entrusted us uh, with your care uh, to ensure that you are growing in the Lord and that you're maturing. Um, and we desire to shepherd and to care for you and to walk alongside of you as you pursue the Lord in obedience and faithfulness to him. Um, and so this is just a way for us to kind of get a pulse of, our of the congregation, of our people, of how everyone is doing as they uh, walk with the Lord. And so you may have heard several times our five discipleship essentials of worship, grow, serve, give, and reach. Um, and so these are kind of the way those questions. There's 19 questions. Uh, my OCD kicks in. It's not 20, it's 19. So maybe that saves you a little bit of time. It doesn't take long. Uh, it's all um, click and answer. Um, but we really want to encourage you in the next couple of weeks to, uh, to go to your email, click on that, or uh, if you have your bulletin, there's a QR code there. You can just have um, your camera take a picture of it. It'll send you right to that survey. Uh, I encourage you not to do it right now during the sermon portion, but I can't stop you, so I'll just think you're on the Bible app reading along. That'll be good. Um, but truly, we want to encourage you. Uh, not only is this helpful for us as we continue to look towards ministry the rest of this year and into next year, um, how we can better equip uh, us as we do whatever it takes for people to uh, believe in Jesus, to belong to God's family, and to become who God's created them to be. Uh, but also, I think it's helpful for us individually to take time to reflect on our walk with the Lord and how we're doing in these areas uh, in relationship to him as we worship him as we grow in him through biblical community, as we give and as we serve, not just here uh, on our campus, but in our community and wherever God may lead us to serve, um, but then also as we reach our community with the gospel and have opportunities, not just corporately, but also individually to share the gospel. So I wanna encourage you to do that. If you do not, I drop this. Uh, if you do not have uh, tech, if you're not tech savvy, you don't get the email or you can't do QR code or go to the website, we do have these available in print form out in the foyer and at the welcome desk. You can complete those and either drop them in any of our drop boxes on campus or drop it by the church office during the week. So there's my little plug. Uh, but as we get started this morning in God's word, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you 
for this day. We thank you for your love for us. And Lord, uh, as we just sang this morning, uh, we are so thankful for your love for us that you died the death that we deserved. And so we come to you this morning with humble hearts. We, we open up your word, uh, recognizing that your word is alive and active and that you have chosen to speak to us and to reveal yourself to us through your word. And so we submit ourselves, we place ourselves under the authority of your word. We ask that you would speak, that we would be, uh, that our hearts would be open and receptive, that we'd be ready to obey what it is you're asking of us today. And Lord, we just thank you uh, for your grace and your faithfulness in our lives. And we pray, Father, um, that as you speak to us, as you work in our lives, that we would leave here changed, that we would leave here looking more and more like your son, Jesus, so that we would be um, obedient followers of you, uh, Lord, that we would be sent out from this place into our community so that others would know uh, the name of Jesus and would give their lives to him as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 12. There's just four short verses, but don't be fooled. Uh, there's a lot here to unpack, so we're gonna walk through it uh, and then wanna go back and look at some biblical principles, uh, things that God desires for us to apply this morning. And so uh, this is a very familiar passage for many. Um, it is the widow's might or the widow's offering. <clears throat> and not a lot of people like to talk about money, and even more people don't want to hear about money, especially when it's in reference to giving money, um, especially may not even want a pastor or a church leader to speak uh, money. So why are we talking about money and giving today? Well, first is we're walking through the book of Mark, and this is the next passage, so we're not just gonna skip a passage because it's hard or difficult or uncomfortable, um, but also God teaches about giving in the Bible, and so if we believe that God is who he is and that we wanna honor him with our lives and we need to be willing to hear what it is he says about our giving and what we should do uh, in accordance to his word and his will. Um, and we see that the Bible has a lot to say about money, a lot. Um, actually, in the book of Luke, um, over an eighth of the book, over an eighth of the verses deal with uh, money and giving. Uh, but also we need to remember that giving is an essential part of our spiritual growth, that as we give to the Lord, as we trust him with our finances and our resources and with every part of our lives, um, that it's a spiritual act of worship. And so we're able to grow in our obedience to God. We're able to become more Christ-like as we learn to give uh, back to him in acknowledgement of who he is and what he's done for us. So we're gonna jump in. So we're here, uh, Jesus' uh, final week before being crucified, this is uh, the week of Passover, and so the previous Sunday, remember, Jesus had entered the city of Jerusalem. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of celebrating. He was coming in uh, on a cult, and the people believed that he was gonna be the next leader, political leader, to bring uh, freedom to them from the Romans. So picture this scene. Jerusalem right now in this time as we're jumping into this passage, Jerusalem is super crowded. Everyone has come from everywhere to celebrate Passover, and so they are now, uh, we're getting a glimpse into the temple where Jesus is, and Mark tells us in verse 41, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people. So he's here, he just finished a conversation with the people about the scribes and Pharisees, and he goes to a different part of the temple. We believe this to be the court of women where the offerings 
uh, were given. Uh, but I find it very interesting that Jesus took time to sit down and just to observe people. Of all the things he could be doing, he chooses to stop and to sit. Um, don't know about you, but I love to people watch. Um, as a kid, maybe this is kind of peculiar, I don't know, but our family, we would like to just sit if we were at a restaurant or if we were at the airport or anywhere we were, maybe we were at Stone Mountain, the laser show, wherever there were large crowds of people, we would kind of love just to kind of observe and then like, oh, well, just say things we thought about the family, like what they were like or what things they enjoyed doing or where they were going or you know, what their plans were, what their conversations were. Um, and Jesus takes the time here to watch as people were giving uh, at the temple. But a better question for us is not just what was he doing? We know he was watching people, but what was he watching them do? And Mark continues and tells us that he was, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Not the offering plate, but the box. Um, and we were reminded that Jesus sees what we give. See, the court of women had 13 what we call offering boxes. And this uh, court of women was only about 200 square feet, so it wasn't very large, but there was 13 boxes, and each one had a label for what the offering was giving, uh, going towards, um, primarily towards different uh, sacrifices um, that would be made, uh, temple sacrifices that would be made. And so uh, these were metal containers. They were kind of shaped like a trumpet. They were pretty wide at the top, and then they got narrower at the bottom, so kind of the shape of a, the bell of a horn. Um, and people would place their money in the offering uh, as they entered uh, the temp as it entered the court of women. And so from what Mark writes and what we know about Passover, it's likely that the people were coming to the temple and at this day and time, the only thing they were doing was coming to give their offerings and then they were leaving. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we just come on Sunday morning and you give an offering and we leave, uh, but I do think it is important to remember that because of this, that we be reminded that our giving is an act of worship. These people were coming and worshiping the Lord by giving to the ministry of the temple. Um, I love that some translations say that Jesus watched how the people put in the money and how suggested that he was taking uh, note of the manner in which the people gave. Now we see not only does Jesus see what we give, but we also see that he we also know that he sees how we give. He cares about how we give. And so he's taking note of how people are giving. And the first group of people we see here are the rich. Mark says, many rich people put in large sums. Jesus takes notice of the rich people putting in their offering. They are probably well-dressed. They probably put in a lot. He would have heard this by the sound that uh, they made as they put their coins in. They didn't have paper money, they just had coins. And so the coins, the more that they were worth, the larger the coins were. So the rich people, as they were putting in lots of amounts of money, the coins were larger. So as they got placed into the offering box, they made a louder sound, right? But I also wanna take note of the word put because the original Greek word, that translation probably would be better translated as throw. So the people are coming in and they are throwing, the rich people are throwing their coins into the offering box. Why? What happens when they throw metal coins into a metal offering box? The sound's louder, right? Really loud. They wanted everyone around them to take note of how much they were putting into the offering box. They wanted to make sure 
that people were noticing them and that people were impressed by what they were doing. But I wonder about Jesus. I wonder if he was impressed by their large gifts and by how they were drawing attention to themselves. It makes me think of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 when Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Remember last week, in last week's passage, the passage prior, we looked at Jesus warning the people to watch out for the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. He accused them of taking advantage of the widows and pressuring them instead of protecting them and providing for them. They loved money and were willing to do whatever it took to get it. And so I think it's interesting that after Jesus warns the people that now we see after the rich are coming in, Jesus takes note of this woman who enters the temple. Mark writes and says, a poor widow came and put two small copper coins which make a penny. You see, it wasn't uncommon for a widow to be poor during this time. However, they relied for the most part on their children to help them uh, or even charity or for the uh, scribes and Pharisees, the church, the temple to take care of their needs. Her clothing as she walked in probably would have been very tattered and torn. It would have reflected that she was poor. She was unnoticed by many as she entered into the temple. She was unnoticed because of all the other uh, prideful people coming in, all the other prominent people. Um, and so she, as a poor widow, enters the temple. She came alone. She came by herself. And she enters silently. But the scripture tells us that she put uh, very little in. So how much did she really give? It says penny there, uh, but that translation is the penny in accordance to uh, the Roman uh, currency. Um, so how much did she give? She, enter, she puts these two small copper coins in. They were called lepta, so two lepta. And that was the equivalent in that time of a 64th, 164th of a denarius. And a denarius uh, was a day's, about a day's wages. So I'm gonna do a little bit of math for you. Um, I hope I did it right. I was a math major before the Lord called me into ministry. Um, and with inflation and what people are making now, especially students, I think a few students have told me this summer they're making between $15 and $18 an hour. Some of them are paying bridge tolls to get across. I'm like, whoa, crazy. Um, so I just did simple math. So let's just say wages range from $8 to $16 an hour. Um, and so that would be $64 to $128 a day. Um, so if that's what a day's wages was just for a common daily worker, uh, a 64th of that would be one to $2. So the widow comes in with one to $2. You have the rich people throwing in large coins, large amounts of money, and she comes in wanting to be unnoticed, and she slips in her two coins, a dollar or two, um, into the offering box. So in all reality, in terms of what her gift could purchase, there really wasn't much that her money uh, would be able to buy um, the temple. If you continue to read uh, next week as we get into chapter 13, you'll take note that the disciples are mentioning just the grandeur of the temple, how grand the temple is, how majestic it is, how uh, beautiful uh, the construction and all just the details of uh, the stone and the carpentry and the workmanship of the temple. Um, so it was a beautiful thing, nothing that her gift of a couple dollars could have been part of, but she gives it. 
And I'm reminded of what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, uh, where he says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks on the heart. Uh, the loud clanging of the coins being tossed into the offering boxes by the rich, I'm sure. I mean, they had to have resonated so much louder than by this widow sliding her two coins, small coins, into the box. But in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continued in verse 3 and 4 and says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We see the widow that she gave her small gift and slipped away, hoping that no one would notice her. However, someone did, and it was Jesus. Her small gift catches the attention of Jesus and Mark says, and Jesus called his disciples to him. The disciples were pretty close. Remember, uh, the court of women was only about 200 square feet, so, so not very large. And so he calls them to him. He uh, wants to get their attention. He asks them to come. And so now it's teaching time, a teaching moment. All right, parents, do we ever have teaching moments with our kids? Uh, probably more often than not. Um, and so he is about to use this widow as an object lesson as to how we are to give. And so Mark continues and says, and Jesus said to them, truly I say to you. So truly, this word truly can be translated as amen. Amen I say to you. It's a unique uh, phrase used only by Jesus, recorded in Mark 13 times. Typically when uh, truly is used, it's used uh, in reference to amen is how we use it when we pray, um, that we uh, would close it with our prayer being and meaning yes, that's right, or so be it, let it be done. Um, and so we were making a statement or a prayer of our own saying, let it be done. But however, Jesus uses this uh, and the whole phrase when he says this, truly, I say to you, uh, he is basically saying, don't miss this. This is something really important and I wanna make sure you catch it. And so not only is he saying that to them, but he's saying that to us this morning. So let's pay attention to what he's about to say to the disciples as he explains why this widow's gift caught his attention. And so, uh, verse 40, 43 continues. He says, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Jesus is now comparing the widow's gift with the gift of the rich. And in all reality, it's not a comparison, but it's a complete contrast to the rich and to the poor widow, to their gift of abundance, to her couple of coins, and what I love too is that it says, it is more than those who are contributing. So that's the uh, present tense, meaning that offerings are still being given. So even those that are coming in later after her, their gifts are still not gonna surpass her gift. And in all reality, probably this translation means that it's more than everyone put together. So every gift that's given on this day still does not amount to the value of the woman's gift on this day but more than all does not diminish the value of the gifts of the rich, but it does contend that they all gave less than the widow. Jesus wasn't denying that the rich gave large amounts of money and that could be used in the temple and used for the kingdom, but he was merely saying that the widow gave more because the rich were giving a contribution uh, and her gift, however, was a total sacrifice. They were basically giving what was left over. They were basically giving so they would receive recognition and her demeanor, her coming in was completely, the way she gave 
And the reason she gave was completely different than the, those of the rich as they came in. So how much did the rich people put in? Thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in that day? She only put in a couple dollars. But it was more than the thousands and thousands of dollars that the rich put in. But how could this be? And Jesus explains to him in verse 44, he says, for they, the rich, all contributed out of their abundance, but she, the widow, out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. You see, the contrast is clear. The rich, they gave out of their abundance, and the widow, she gave out of her poverty. The rich, they gave much more in total amount, but it involved no sacrifice to them. They still had a lot left over. They would leave the temple that day and they still had money for food and for clothes and for shelter to meet all of their needs. The widow, she came in and she gave all that she had. And she left that day not even knowing where her next meal may come from. So how did Jesus know this? How did Jesus know that the widow was giving her very last two coins? Well, he's God, right? He has the ability to know all things. Even in human form, he has the ability to know all things. Uh, he knew her. He may have known her personally. Uh, he may have gone up and asked her. Uh, maybe it's even possible in this time that the priest who was in uh, the court of women may have even asked, like, is that all you have? Uh, because people coming in were throwing in several coins, even large coins. Um, so the priest, he may have overheard a conversation with another person. Um, but this morning, I want us to take a look and go back and look at what Jesus wants us to apply to our lives from this passage. What is it he wants us to understand this morning that we would apply to our lives as we go out this week? And the first thing we see is that Jesus eliminates the excuses we make for why we can't give. He eliminates the excuses we make uh, for why we can't give. We love to make excuses, don't we? And we're just gonna jump right in here to all the excuses at the very forefront of it because as he points out the widow and her gift, we, we have no excuse. Uh, we have five kids in our home and we get a lot of excuses at times. And sometimes they're legitimate excuses and sometimes they're excuses to things that they already know what's expected uh, in, our van, in the Van Sant home. Um, and so... But the same is true, not just with kids who maybe don't wanna do the chores or don't wanna listen, but the same is true of us as well, right? And so I just wanna take a look at, uh, we make excuses about our giving. We make excuses about what we should give to and where we should give and how we should give and how much we should give. And we can make a list of all these reasons of why we don't need to give or why we don't need to give more or why we should only give a certain amount. But as we look at the widow and her gift this morning, we realize uh, that she, what she does, it basically shuts down any excuse that we can give. And so here are just six ways that um, I wanna share with you of excuses that we make uh, when God asks us to give uh, our lives and our finances. The first, I call this the, the go home giver. You know the phrase go home or go big? Well, they're giving big, and so they're taking care of the ministry of the church. They're taking care of what's going on, and, and my gifts, you know, it's just a couple dollars. It's just, you know, X, Y, Z amount. It's really not that much compared to what other people give. 
But man, as we look at this passage, what an unexpected and glorious thing, a beautiful thing that we see when Jesus uses this widow and her gift as a teaching point to how we should give. The pattern that we should live our lives and how we should give to the Lord. Then I call this a self-pity or well, I don't have anything left to give. You know, after I get my paycheck and I've got all the bills and we went on this vacation and we're paying for this, this sporting event or this extracurricular for our kids and, you know, we have this medical bill and all these, there's just no money left. If I had some money left, I would definitely give it to the Lord. The woman only had two small coins and she placed them in the offering box. Then there's the critic. Well, the church doesn't spend the money wisely. And I'm at a little bit fair, unfair advantage because just talking about this, but I am so thankful for the lay leaders and the leadership in our church uh, who steward and use our resources so well for the glory of God and for his kingdom as we seek to build God's kingdom, not just here in Niceville, but around the world. And I'm thankful for the transparency we have with you on as you give to God's kingdom on how that's being used uh, to build his kingdom here and around the world. Uh, but I think it's interesting that we also need to note back to last week that Jesus calls out the scribes and the Pharisees on how they were mistreating. And so even though the widow knew that they were mistreating others and her in particular, she still gave. She could have said, well, I'm not gonna give because they mistreat me. They're supposed to be supporting me and helping me and they're not doing anything. But yet she was being obedient to the Lord. Then there's the blamer. Well, God hasn't been good to me lately. Times are tough. And I know for many of us in this room that some of us are going some, through some very difficult, hard times. And I'm so thankful that we have a Lord who's the good shepherd who walks alongside of that, us in that, who cares for us, who knows our every need and meets every need. And I pray that if you're going through a difficult time right now, that you would see his glory and his grace, that you would feel the comfort and the compassion of our good shepherd as he's walking alongside of you in whatever it is that you're faced with. But be reminded that God gave us his son, Jesus, that Jesus willingly laid down his life for us, that we would be in relationship with him and that we would respond to his grace and to his goodness with trust and faithfulness to him, not just with our finances, but with our life. <clears throat> then there's the everything has to be easy person. Like God may ask me to do some things, but as long as it's easy, as long as it's not inconvenient, I'll do it. I find out every year, every week, every day, following Jesus is not easy. And in a lot of ways, it's not gonna get any easier. In some ways, it should get more difficult as we learn what it is that he asks us to do as his people. And I will tell you that if you are not giving, to go to giving 10% is hard. It is a huge jump. I run I am not a runner, as you can tell, um, but I do run, not as much as I should, as you can also tell. Um, but uh, when I go run, I can tell when I have not run in a couple weeks. I can tell when I have not run in a couple days. I cannot just go for weeks on end without running and then go decide I'm gonna go run three to five miles after not running for three or five weeks. It is just not possible. I've got to pace myself and continue that discipline on and on. So my encouragement to you is if you're not giving, one, find someone to hold you accountable to that. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's someone in your life group. Um, but start small. It's okay. It's okay that if I haven't run in five weeks that maybe I just run a mile or maybe I run two miles and I stop a couple times along the way. But you're never gonna be able to give by starting big. 
and it's okay. Then there's the wishful thinker, the one who thinks, oh, well, you know, just later down the road, you know, when I get my next promotion or when the kids graduate college and I don't have all their expenses or whatever it may be, or when I get a new job, then when I have more money or I have less bills or I have less expenses, then I'll be able to give. That, that never comes. And if it does, then it's like, well, the next promotion or when the next kid graduates college or when the next event happens or if God will just do this or just do that and then it'll be easier for me to give. This next truth we see is that Jesus isn't looking for people who give large financial gifts. Jesus is looking for people who have faithful hearts. He's not wanting you to give bigger and better gifts, but he's wanting all of your heart. You see, when the widow gave her gift, it caught Jesus' attention, not because of the amount, but because of the condition of her heart. Even in, in what her circumstances, she was still faithful to the Lord. You know, I don't believe Jesus was impressed with the, that I don't believe Jesus is impressed with the amount that people give, but he's more impressed with why we give and how we give. Because you see, how we give, it reflects why we give. You see, the actions of the scribes and the Pharisees that showed their hearts were in the wrong place. They were focused so much on the details of the law. I'm sure that many of them and most of them came that day and they gave the exact percentage, the exact amount that they were supposed to give based on the law. They cared more about the law and following the law than they did about caring about other people. They cared more about following the law than making sure that God had their whole life. And then the poor widow enters the scene and she has a heart of faithfulness and we see that she trusted God with everything. So this morning, we need to ask ourselves, what's the attitude of our heart when we give? Do we do it out of obligation or because we feel we have to or do we give willingly and cheerfully? Because you know, Jesus not only watches us, not, watches our, not only watches our giving, but he watches how we give. He's more concerned about how we give and so he places greater value on a faithful heart. And you see, a faithful heart leads us to become a selfless giver. It changes the way we give. We become selfless. We begin to put the needs of others, the needs of the kingdom before our own. One of our base values is that the priority of we, uh, priority of me is no longer uh, valid, but the priority of we is over the priority of me that we would be selfless givers, that we put the needs of others above our own. You see, Jesus teaches an important lesson here. It's not how much you give that matters, it's how much you have left over after you give and that you keep for yourself. That's such a convicting statement of how much, if we truly thought about how much we keep for ourselves. And we look around at the needs in our community, we look around at the things going on in our world and the needs and the poverty in our world it's caused me this week and in the past several weeks is going through this text of, God, what is it you truly need me and want me to keep and what can be used to further your kingdom? You see, how much we decide to give is influenced by how much we decide to keep. The only way we're gonna decide to give more is to make a decision to not keep something else. That we are gonna give more only when we decide to keep less. 
There's only one pot of income. And so the only way to give more is to keep less. It requires humility. But we also know that not only as we have faithful hearts do we uh, become um, selfless givers, but we also become surrendered givers. That giving is a spiritual decision. And giving is not just financially, that God has authority over our giving, but he also has authority over our spending and our saving. All three of those components impact how we give and our obedience to God and to his will. We've got to acknowledge that God owns everything. Not only does he own everything that we see, but he owns everything that we have ourselves. And so we trust him and we acknowledge that. Unfortunately, Many people give only what's comfortable, not what's challenging. They look and say, oh, well, I can't afford to tithe. It doesn't fit in my budget. After I do all these things I wanna do, I don't have anything left for God. God should be first, not last. There's a saying that says, give God what's right, not what's left. But do we have the faith and the trust to do that? then we see that our faithful hearts will lead us to become sacrificial givers. You see, Jesus isn't calling, this sermon today is not about tithing. Jesus isn't calling us to tithe. He's calling us to give sacrificially. He's not calling us just to give of our finances and our resources. He's calling to give our lives to him. And in reality, as we look at this passage, we're reminded that giving has a certain uh, recklessness to it. The widow could have kept a coin. She could have kept two coins but she gave everything. And Jesus, as he talks to his disciples, doesn't say, oh, I can't believe she gave everything. It would have been wiser for her to have saved it. But I think in today's world, a lot of people in our culture today would have criticized the widow. They would have been like, oh, I can't believe she's not providing for her future, setting up a 401k or whatever it might be. Um, that's just not wise. I can't believe for her lack of prudence and, and foresight and being prepared for what the future may hold. Um, some people may have criticized her and saying, well, you know, for being dependent upon Israel's welfare system. I couldn't say that word in the first gathering. That's so crazy. Welfare system. I got it. Third, third service is going to be awesome. Um, but in all reality, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we all have something we're holding on to and not trusting God with it. Jesus is teaching us about the spiritual value of giving. There's a cost. There's a cost to giving the Lord what he asks. And it's a great cost, but the reward is so immeasurable. Our faithful hearts also lead us to be sincere givers. It's an act of worship. Spiritually speaking, God is not looking for people who think they're godly, who walk around in, in flowing robes looking for all the attention of other people to pat us on the back when we're giving um, because of anything we've done. He's not interested in those who want to be greeted in public uh, spaces with respect, who want to be at the head of the table, who want all the attention when they walk into a room. No, Jesus wants hearts that are obedient to him. He's worried about the condition of our heart that we're truly loving him and truly trusting him. Warren Wearsby says, if a person is important only because of the uniform he wears, the title he bears, or the office that he holds, then, this important, then his importance is artificial. It is character that makes a person valuable. And nobody can give you character. You must develop it yourself as you walk with God. You see, our giving should reflect Jesus. 
I was reminded of a passage in Philippians. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 1 through 8. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God to be something, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Different translation. And I memorized it. Uh, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not just dying, but the most humiliating death that you could do have was death on a cross. And Jesus gave that way. He gave his life. He shows us the example of what it means to give, that he was selfless. He humbled himself. He left the right hand of God, the throne of heaven, and came as a human so that we would have life. He lived a perfect and sinless life, and he died a death that he didn't deserve, that we deserved in our place, and he did that. He surrendered himself to the will of God, knowing, remember, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane just a day or two later, was in the garden praying, asking the Lord to take it away from him, that if there's any other way that he could do this, any other way that salvation could be brought, that God would make the way. And he humbled himself, and he submitted his life to God's will, and he sacrificed his life for us. Jesus continues and says, but the widow out of her poverty put in everything she had all she had to live on. You see, the poor widow gave more than just all she had financially. She gave all of herself. And that's really what I hope we gather this morning. Like, I'm not asking for you to give more money. I'm not asking for you to give a tithe. I'm not asking for you to give a certain amount. I'm not asking, that's the Holy Spirit's job this morning is to stir within our hearts what it is he's called us to do as his people. But the other thing he's calling us to do is not just to give of our money and our finances, but he's calling to give of ourselves. You see, the amount that the widow gave, it wasn't large. Two small coins, a couple dollars. We'll, we'll give that to people, lend it to them, and I'm like, hey, you don't bother paying it back, not a big deal, just a couple dollars. And even though the amount wasn't large, the sacrifice for the widow was great. God isn't calling us to give a tithe or to give more. He's calling us to give everything to him. What was the widow saying when she gave everything she had to live on? She was demonstrating her faith in God. She was demonstrating her trust that God is the one who supplies all of our needs. Everything she had belonged to God and God wanted every part of it. Everything we have belongs to God and God wants us to remember that it's all his. It belongs to him. So whatever it is he asks for his things, we should do willingly and cheerfully. God wants it all. He wants all or nothing. The widow was entrusting herself to God. She was truly living out Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day of its own troubles. She placed those two coins in the box, and that was it. She trusted God with what was next. What a tragedy in our lives when we decide to hold something back from God. Whether we hold back part of our plans, whether we hold back part of our finances, whether we hold back some of our time, and we don't give God control of every part. This morning, there's a section at the bottom of your bulletin. It says, uh, reflection and response. I left some space there because I'm just gonna ask a couple of questions of us this morning as we've walked through this text that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to us about the greatest gift and about giving our lives fully to him. And I pray that we would allow him to examine our hearts, not just this morning, but as we go throughout our week, that we would be willing to apply these principles to our lives, that as we go through our day, as we live our lives, that we would reflect Jesus and the sacrifices that he made. Um, And so this morning is an opportunity for us to allow God to change our hearts, to change our thinking, to change our affections, uh, that we would be uh, generous in our lives. So the first thing we need to do this morning is we need to decide what sacrificial giving looks like. What does sacrificial giving look like for you? What does it look like for your family? What does it look like for you to sacrifice for God's kingdom? At Church on Bayshore, our mission is to do whatever it takes to lead people to believe in Jesus, to belong to God's family, and to become who God's created them to be. Are we collectively, are we individually doing whatever it takes to see God's kingdom built? Is there a gift that God wants you to give that's putting you outside of your comfort zone? Then take a look at your giving. When you give, are you sharing in the hardships that come when we are fully committed to fulfill God's mission? I encourage you to go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and read about Paul challenging the Corinthians in their giving and comparing them to the Macedonian Christians who were giving even in their great need. Man, you wanna be challenged in how you give? The widow's might is a great place to start, but man, if you have time this week, go to 2 Corinthians chapters eight and nine and you'll be challenged. Next question to consider, what excuses have you been making about your giving? How, how can you give those excuses to God and trust him with the answer, trusting that he knows what's best, that he's not going to ask you uh, to give without already knowing the impact of that, that we would trust him fully because he knows what's best. What kind of giver are you? Is your giving selfless? Is your giving surrendered to God's will for your life? Is your giving sacrificial? Are you sincere in your giving? And then last, and this might be a hard one too, what areas in our lives are we holding back from God? What areas are we holding back from God? This morning, we're actually gonna observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, The deacons are gonna help as we observe that this morning, but we're gonna take time to remember what the Lord has done for us. You see, the widow's sacrificial giving was a foreshadowing what Jesus, deacons, y'all can come forward. Uh, um, The widow's sacrificial giving was a foreshadowing of Jesus' own. Just a couple days, he would be laying his life down on the cross. Jesus on that cross, he was selfless. He had humbled himself. On that cross, Jesus was surrendered to God's will knowing that through his death and resurrection, salvation would be brought to all of those who would believe in Jesus. And Jesus' death on that cross was sacrificial. He gave everything, he gave his very own life that we would have life 
with him. And so this morning, we're gonna remember Jesus' sacrifice. We're gonna remember what it is he did and what he gave for us so that we would know God, that we would be brought back into a relationship with him. One quick reminder for you, as the deacons uh, pass the uh, plate, I almost said offering plate, the plate uh, with the juice and the bread, please know that there are two cups. You need to grab two cups, please. I'm guilty, I've actually missed it myself once, uh, but grab both cups. On the top cup is the juice, the cup underneath is the bread. So please make sure as it's being passed that you grab both uh, cups uh, as we partake. Dan Hinkle is gonna lead us in prayer as we uh, remember and look to the Lord this morning.